Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Thank you for tuning in. Again, it's our pleasure and privilege to welcome you to the program. Stay with us for this hour, please, as we are going to open the Bible again. And we are going to look at Christ-shaped lives and spirit-inspired speech. I will welcome our panel today, and I will say hello to Jerry. It's good to have you with us. Thank you, Nick. It's a pleasure to be here. Denise, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Nick. I really enjoy being part of the panel. Hi, Will. It's good to have you part of the program. Thank you, Nick. The topic today will make me shuffle and uh, become uneasy, <laughs> but it's good to be part of this program. Yes, Lija, it's good to have you with us today. Yes, always better to study God's Word. It's helping in my life, shaping my life. Ken, it's good to have you with us uh, today too. Thank you, Nick. Uh, always a privilege to be here. And Brenton, thank you for being part of this. I would like to say thank you from the beginning that uh, you are able to put together this um, study today and you're going to facilitate this discussion. It's good to have you with us today. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. It's a, a pleasure to be able to introduce this subject that we're going to study in our Bible study today. I put it this way. When I was thinking about the study that we are about to undertake and the topic, Christ-shaped lives and spirit-inspired speech, um in our study, we'll discuss a number of things uh, regarding radical transformation. So I was reminded, Nick and um, panel, of some popular reality TV shows such as The Block, House Rules and Open Homes Australia, where the contestants either purchase or they have a house, some decrepit, decrepit run-down house or unit, and... Um, over a period of time, over a number of weeks, it's renovated or restored to modern standards. And even though I don't watch a lot of these shows myself at times, it's interesting to see that the final product is often amazing compared with what it was before. And uh, sometimes the couple who sell the property make a significant profit on it. But in our Bible study today, we're dealing with a far greater transformation the putting off, as Paul calls it, of the old sinful life and putting on the transformed Christian life. And our study today is contained primarily within Ephesians 4, verses 17 to 32. In our previous study last week, uh, Paul highlighted God's grand plan to, to unite all things in Christ Jesus. It wasn't only last week. It's been previous studies as well. But he said that he has pled for Christian unity as the hallmark of this program. And in our last week's study, two points were made clear as to how this plan was to be implemented. Number one, we must have unity in the spirit. Paul mentions this in Ephesians 4 and verse 1. It's his very first thing. In the second point is we are to walk worthy of the calling to which we have been called. And I believe this is the litmus test that demonstrates to the world that the transformation in our lives is genuine and it will stand the test of time and eternity. A well-known Christian author has put it this way, and I like it. No man receives holiness as a birthright. 
or as a gift from another human being. Holiness is the gift of God through Christ. Those who receive the Saviour become sons and daughters of God. From cherishing supreme love for self, they come to cherish supreme love for God and for Christ. And Paul, in verses 17 to 32 of chapter 4, argues that our speech is a key indicator of our relationship with our church family and with Jesus. And it's interesting that Jesus himself stated in uh, one of his discourses that by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. That's found in Matthew 12, 37. So let's start exploring this theme. And Jerry, I wonder if you could start us off by offering prayer for us because we really need the Holy Spirit to guide us in our study today. Thank you. Yes, certainly, Brendan. Our loving and kind Heavenly Father, gracious God, we are so thankful for the written word. We are so thankful that um, you love us and that as we study your word, we can find the perfect way to live our lives. We invite your Holy Spirit to go before us to be our teacher and our guide. And we are so thankful that uh, we could spend this hour together. And uh, we invite all our listeners to join in with us. We pray for a blessing upon, a blessing upon each one of them as we uh, go through these verses. And what an important uh, topic we have to discuss today. So, Lord, help us to um, to be transformed by what we read and hear. And, um, and become more and more like Jesus as we submit ourselves to your molding. We just thank you now in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much, Jerry. Our study today consists of a number of subsections with various titles. The one that we're going to look at just now is entitled The Downward, Downward Spiral into Sin. And I imagine there probably isn't a person around who doesn't identify with this to some degree. Will, I wonder if you could start us off by reading Ephesians 4, 17 to 19 and just note some of the things that Paul says in there. Let's let's read it first and maybe then we can break it down a little bit. Thanks, Will. Sure. Would you permit me to just read two texts as an introduction sure. before mm-hmm. I read Ephesians 4, verses 17 and 19? Now, the Bible says of those who choose to live separate from the will of God, that they become fools. Um, Romans one twenty two says, claiming to be wise, they become fools. 1 Corinthians uh, 3, verses 19 and 20, says, For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, The Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So how do we best explain the biblical view of the true condition of those who live an unconverted life? And it's found in the passage you've asked us to read, Brenton, in Ephesians 4, verses 17 to 19. Very interesting metaphors he uses in here, isn't it, Will? (laughs) Yes, yes. In fact, um, Perhaps the text should speak for itself. It says, Paul speaking, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. A key verse, verse 18, 
they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. That's important. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Mm. Um, Panel, in these verses, Paul refers to believers in their previous lives. And you'll notice the terms futility of minds, darkness, alienated from God. You know, the willful ignorance of living without divine renewal or conversion is outlined in another text in Second Thessalonians verses ten, uh, 2, verses 10 and 11. And all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish, notice here, they perish because they refused to, the, to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who will not, who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. Um, I think that to answer the question, Brenton, the progression of uh, into sin or progression of the downward spiral into sin is best explained in that text in verse 18 of Ephesians 4. They yes. are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to, and here's the key, the hardening of their hearts. And you know, there is, um, it, it, verse 19 also says, having lost all sensitivity, yes, have given themselves over. God does not lead people into uh, indulgence of sin. They give themselves over to sensuality. Now that is, that is the key difference between those that try to serve God and those that just let go of morality. Thank you, Will. I think you've summed up uh, pretty well. Panel, do we have any comments on that? Um, does, is, is there two ways of looking at this, um, living, uh, um, the, the downward spiral into sin. Is it possible to be doing it in ignorance or is it all, always willfully? What do you think? Any thoughts? Ken? Yes, I think myself, Brenton, that it's actually willful because a uh, couple of reasons. One, over the years, I've spoken to a number of people about the Lord. And yes. I say to them, look, I can prove to you that God exists, but they're not interested because they realize that if they were to look into this and find the truth, they would then be faced with making a decision. Do they stay where they are, or do they turn to the Lord and go against the world, which they don't want to do? The other thing I'd say it like this, I believe, it's like people being in jail. There are those that realize their mistakes and want to change, and then there are those who only want to do what is wrong, no matter what the consequences throughout their lives. Thank you, Ken. Um, Lydia? Yes, uh, Brendan, we observed that in uh, in verse 18 it says, 
due to the hardening of their hearts or of the ignorance that is in them. So as Ken mentioned, the hardening of the hearts is happening in a period of time. It doesn't happen suddenly. And it's because of the ignorance. If I ignore God's word, uh, if I don't have a, a closer relationship with God, the ignorance appears, the hardening of the heart appears. So it's a collaboration between me and the Holy Spirit to open the heart for the Holy Spirit to work in me, or I'm closing the door. Okay, Will, you had a further thought for us as well, because I want to give you an example in just a second. Thanks, Will. It becomes a little more serious when you think that we can actually sin unintentionally. Yeah. In fact, um, recognizing this, God um, in, in Leviticus 4 provided for a special offering for those that have transgressed without intending to do so. Unintentionally. It's, yes, yeah. it's, so it's possible. Yeah. Um, let me give you the example of the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul ravaged the early Christian church. Uh, I would describe Paul actually, in fact, I did describe him on air yesterday, as when he first started out, I called him a religious fanatic. He was going around uh, arresting Christians right, left and centre, putting them in jail. Some of them were being killed and so on and so forth. But on the road to Damascus, God turned him around. Would you have said his situation was deliberate? Or was it in ignorance? Because what does Paul himself say about his conversion? Any thoughts on that? Nick? I thought uh, when we mentioned these things is that probably the first thing is to to define, I mean, to clarify what sin is. Because then we can see, uh, as Ligia pointed out or uh, others, that uh, if, if we say that sin is the transgression of the law. Now, if you don't know the law, do you sin? If you don't know. No. You, you see, if mm, you know... I can see what you're saying, Nick. You know, yeah. If you know, then uh, you are responsible for that. Sure, and sure. that's the thing. Now, we may, as Will said, we may fall into some sins, even... You know, not even realizing that we are, oh, but we then come to our uh, senses to say, hang on a second, I committed this sin and I need to do something. And the Holy Spirit, Lija mentioned that it's working within us yes. to, to bring to our attention. But when we are working against the Holy Spirit, we are looking at ourselves and uh, we just ignore all those uh, things, then, yeah, we fall into that category. I thought it's important to clarify this thing because yes. there yes, are many is. people who are sinning, but they don't know because they don't know the law. They don't know. Uh, so does, so does uh, Nick, taking that a step further, does God hold that against them because they don't know? See, Paul says in some of his writings, he says, I sinned, I did these things in ignorance persecuting the church of God, trying to destroy the church of God. He says, I did these things in ignorance, but God has forgiven me. He's turned me around. <laughs> I'm going in another direction. 
So I, I think it's possible just as we ponder what Will has read and what we've all shared, I think it's possible to, to realize that there is, as you said, Will, in Leviticus 4, there are sins of ignorance, but probably the bulk of them are more in the deliberate category, which is, Ken, what you touched on with people who don't want to know. It's pretty difficult to share the good news of Jesus with people who don't want to know. Anyway, moving on, we deal with the issue of clothing. In their culture, most of them only owned one pair of clothes, and yet Paul talks about this a bit. Jerry, I wondered if you would share with us Ephesians 4, verse 21 to 24, because there are some very interesting metaphors and examples that Paul uses here to describe the change between the Ephesians before Christ and what they are like after they came to Christ. I wonder if you could share some of those with us. Thanks. Yeah, certainly, uh, Brenton. I'm just following on on what um, Will mentioned in his uh, segment. Um, and it says here, I'm reading from uh, the clear word, which is a paraphrase, and I thought it brought it out very, very well, uh, from verse 19. Now, talking about the uh, Gentiles and the way they used to live. Yes. Uh, they've become calloused, living lives of sensuality and, indulge, and indulging in undisciplined passions or continually lusting for more. Well, that's the old way. And then in verse 20, it goes on to say, this is totally different from the kind of lives I've taught you to live. Yes. Also, the life Christ lived. You were taught to live in accordance with the truth as it is in Jesus. Take off the old self with its previous conduct, which continues to degenerate into corruption and deceitful lusts. Renew your hearts each day by committing yourself to Christ, determined to live totally for him. This is what it means to be a new person in Christ, recreated the way God designed, reflecting his goodness and holiness. And I thought that was uh, very well put. We're talking about a dramatic change of clothing here, putting off the, the, the symbol of uh, put, taking off something, like clothing, is uh, mentioned very, very often in Scripture. We'll have a look at a few examples in a minute. But um, yeah, putting away or putting off or turning away, it doesn't mean an adjustment or improvement no. mm. of, of who or what you already are. We're talking about a radical transformation. I think you mentioned that, Brenton, in your introduction. Yeah, it's not a modification of the old, is it, Jerry? No, no. Yeah. And while it's true that we can come to Christ just as we are, warts and all, we can't expect to stay as we are and call ourselves Christians. I think that's the point he's trying to make. Yes, yeah, good point. Now, now, Paul tells us that the adoption of a Christ-shaped life requires three processes which he expresses through clothing imagery. And we've already mentioned to put off or turn away the old uh, way from the old way of life in Ephesians 4 verse 22. And then to experience inner renewal in the verse 23 of uh, Ephesians, that you are renewed daily. And it reminds me a bit of what he says in Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2, where he says, again from the uh, paraphrase, Therefore, I plead with you, my brothers, because of God's kindness and mercy toward you. Offer your lives as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to him. Great this text. Is 
This is both reasonable and the spiritual way to worship God. Don't pattern your life after the world, but let God transform you from the inside out and give you a new way of thinking. Then you will know what is good and pleasing to him and what is not. So that's the inner renewal that Paul wants. So we've taken off the old, and now we've got to put on something else, don't we? Yes. We've got to put on yep. the 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 um the life or the pattern that God wants you to live. And um, you know, Paul's metaphor reflects the use of clothing in the Old Testament as a symbol for both sinfulness and salvation. And there's a number of examples that, that bring that out very clearly. If we just go to Psalm seventy three, for example. Yes. Where, um, as a symbol that's a good that's a good one <laughs> yeah it, it says here therefore pride serves as their necklace and violence covers them like a garment <laughs> uh, in fact in Zechariah chapter 3 verses 3 and 4 and the context of that is where Satan confronts the angel of the Lord uh, to oppose Joshua the high priest and the Lord says take away the filthy garments from him that is from Joshua I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. Yes. That image. Yes. Yes. Uh, and then you go to uh, clothing or the symbol of uh, salvation. Um, in Psalms 132, verse 9, it says, Let your priests be clothed with righteousness. Yes. And in Isaiah 61, verse 10, it says, For he clothes me with the garments of salvation. He has mm. covered me with the robe of righteousness. So there's okay. beautiful imagery, and it's mentioned many, many times in Scripture. Um, interesting too, Brenton, if you go to Colossians, this, this same idea of, um, for instance, it says here, um, well, let me start with verse 2. It says, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. On the earth, for you died, and your life was hidden with Christ in God. Now, if you drop down to verse 8, this is chapter 3 of Colossians. Yes, right? yes. But now you yourselves are to put off all these. So it's almost like a, a garment again, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's the garment uh, yeah, example again. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, and he says then, put off anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. And then he goes on to say in verse 10, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Interesting, isn't it, how he, he, he uses that same imagery again? It's, yes. It's a good example of, um, of how to get rid of the old and start anew. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Jerry. Um, Lydia, you had some thoughts for us and so did Will. I would like to make, uh, to go for a minute in, uh, in the first century. If we're thinking about those people who lived before us. Yes. Uh, some, uh, you could distinguish them exteriorly. I'm talking now those who are rich, they wore a, a long robe and they had a tunic on. But those who are poor, they had like a sack on with three, um, Holes, one for the head and two for the for the arms. And basically, uh, that's all they had, legend. Exactly. 
and mm. uh, they uh, uh, some of them uh, it depends of the type of work they do they did some were uh, were longer socks some uh, men were the short ones the knee knee length to be uh, to be able to uh, function in work but the slaves were just something to cover you know to cover the the mid waist uh, and they had something just throw on them like a shawl or something like a something quick of course yes. they lived in in a in a warmer climate than us women instead they wore longer dresses all the women so this is showing uh, a type of characteristic of uh, of 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 their own culture but putting mm. off and putting on usually as we said they had only one one piece of clothing one, one clothing yeah I don't this know is radical they, when a person uh, was advanced uh, in workforce you know a new position they needed to buy a new new set of clothing and yes. many people were identified on the roads on the street everywhere by their clothing if they would change that set of clothing they were like misrecognized let's say so yeah. putting on and putting off clothes to say that when we renew our inner part of ourselves also we renew the exterior one you know we feel fresh mm. we feel clean from inside out mm. Lydia I think you've covered that very well uh, um will you had a thought followed by Jerry it's just uh, commenting on uh, something Lydia said if i decided mm. to join the priesthood in the monastery of the Tibetan monks. You know, I might <laughs> arrive there in my Nike trainers, blue jeans and a brightly colored Hawaiian shirt, but soon I will have to exchange that for the orange robe and sandals of their priesthood. You will. <laughs> yeah, a change of clothes suggests a change of lifestyle. Yeah. And as Lydia said, because um, most of the people that Paul is talking to here probably own one set of clothes, the metaphor would have that much greater impact for them because it would be like changing the clothes they had before and putting on a rich robe that, um, shall we say, a person in a high position had. He's he's using it. I believe this metaphor would have really hit them between the eyes because they would have recognised that the change from the old Gentile to the Gentile in Christ, the son or daughter of God, is a radical one. Just as radical as changing clothing. Okay, anybody else? Nick? <laughs> I just wanted to uh, say uh, that um, as we looked at these passages in the Bible, as Jerry was pointing out, we understand one thing. That was talking about the righteousness of Jesus Christ, to put on the righteousness yes. of Jesus. Yes. Because we can as Christians, to have our own attitude, understanding, and to put on what we think is right. And that's why we have so many differences among us all Christians, because we are not putting on the righteousness of Jesus, which mm. is the only role which we have available in terms of transformation and change mm. and recognition, if you like, in the Christendom. 
Yeah. If we yeah. put our own righteousness, if we put yeah. our own understandings and theology and all those things, we may look so different from each other. But if we have Christ's righteousness, we should look the same. That's a good thought, Nick. I like that because Christ's robe of righteousness is similar. You don't have different standards, different fashions. It's all the same. <laughs> I think that's important. Any other thoughts before we move on? All right. So, Denise, um, a little going down a little bit further in Ephesians 4, between verses 25 and 28, Paul starts to get, shall we say, personal in the sense of he talks about their speech, but he talks about some aspects of their speech that he tells them not to do. Maybe you can share some of that with us. Thanks. Sure, Brenton. Um, Paul's talking here about lying and what lying, mm. how in different contexts lying is causes division between people, and he's trying to promote unity in the church. So he's got admonition here for people against lying. So I'd like to read Ephesians 4, verses 25 to 28, and just talk about each one as I go, and then the other example. I'm reading from a paraphrase called The Clear Word. So verse 25 goes like this. So stop lying to each other and speak truthfully because we are all members of the same family. And by same family, he means the body of Christ. So the, the church, the Christian church. If you get upset, don't focus on your feelings until you're filled with hatred. Let go of anger before nightfall and turn everything over to the Lord. So the idea was not to hang on to anger um, because that gives the devil a foothold. And in verse 27, it explains that. Don't give the devil a foothold or an opportunity to cause trouble. So what the trouble was, was division. Lying and um, telling lies to each other causes people, causes mistrust, it causes division, it causes separation, and he was trying to promote unity. And in verse 28, it says, anyone who has been stealing should stop, do some honest work, pay back what was stolen, then give something to those in need. So stealing in some ways is a form of lying, isn't it? I believe so, yes. So <laughs> he's he's a, he's talking about the neg- negative action here of stealing and then encouraging people in the church to uh, pay back what was stolen and then to do something for those in need. So there's this negative of the yeah. of the action and then there's a positive action to counteract yeah. it. But then there's also the example of Ananias and Sapphira, the story in in Acts um, chapter five. Mm. And this, I found um, that very interesting, Denise. That story. <laughs> well, th- these people were part of the early church, and yeah. I'll summarize um, what happened. But it shows the severe consequences of lying to God. So the story is about Ananias and Sapphira, who are members of the church, and they opted to sell some property and they pretended to give the full proceeds to the church, but they lied and they kept some of the money back for themselves. So Peter, the apostle, asked them why they kept money back when they had promised to give all of it to the church. And the two of them had colluded on this. He explained to them that they had not lied to man, but they had lied to God. And when we look at what happens to them in in Acts chapter 5, verse 9, so in verse 9, 
Oh, actually, in verse 3... It's 3 and 9, I think, because it it, it shows what happened to both of them, doesn't it? Yes, so in verse 3, it says, When he, that's Ananias, handed the money to the apostles, Peter said, Ananias, why did you let Satan control you and make you lie to the Holy Spirit? Why are you telling us that this is the full amount you sold the property for when you know it's only part of it? And then... um, What happened? In verse 5, it says, when Ananias realized that Peter knew what he had done, he fell down and died. And news of what had happened spread amongst the believers and instilled in everyone enormous respect for the Holy Spirit. And then a few hours in verse 7, about three hours later, Sapphira came in having no idea what had happened. She asked to see Peter. When he met her, he said, tell me, how much did you and your husband sell the property for? And she lies to him as well. Yes. And he says to her in verse 9, why did you two agree to lie about the whole thing? What were you trying to do? A few hours ago, your husband fell over dead when he found out that we knew what you two had done and the men who carried him are coming to carry you out too. Uh, in verse 10, <laughs> when she heard this, she collapsed and died. Now, it says in verse 11, as the word about this spread through the ranks of the believers, a holy awe came upon the whole church. So... If there had been no consequences for this sinful behavior, the results would have been catastrophic. Dishonesty would appear profitable. The Holy Spirit um, would be seen to be able to be deceived. So it was important to let the members of the early church know that there are serious consequences for lying, um, for deceit and hypocrisy. Yeah, thank you, Denise. You've summarised that pretty well. Just a question before we go to Will, because Will had a thought for us on this one. When you practise deceit, who are you hurting the most? Are you hurting yourself or the people you're trying to deceive? I think yourself. Mm, I do too. You're hurting hurting both lots, but eventually it comes back to bite you in a big way. Like you, That was pretty severe consequences for Ananias and Sapphira. It's terminal. Terminal consequences. The message is that God will not be mocked. Mm. If you promise something to God, you need to come through with your promise, whether it's, whether it's something you've promised to do or something you've promised to give. Um, he wants you to be truthful. I I think you've summarized that very well, Denise. Will, you had a thought for us and Jerry, I see you nodding your head a bit. (laughs) You know, over the years, Brenton and panel, I've uh, I've wrestled with the whole concept of the white lie. The white lie. The white lie. uh, Can you explain what a white lie is, Will, (laughs) for our listeners? (laughs) Well, you know, um, perhaps perhaps I should let uh, Martin Luther say something. I don't often contend with Martin Luther, but I would like to refute what he once wrote, and this is almost unbelievable, actually. Martin Luther writes, what harm would it do if a man told a good, strong lie for the sake of the good and for the Christian church? A lie out of necessity, a useful lie, a helpful lie. Such lies would not be against God. He would accept them. Now, I don't agree with that. Neither do I. <laughs> I think even a white lie is offensive to God. I hope I understand his context correctly. But you know, folks, 
We need to watch our speech. We need to watch our, our and speak truthfully at all times. Yeah. Um, before we come to Denise, do you know what the current phrase that I hear a lot these days? I've heard it in court settings recently. In other words, it's the word misspoke. Do you know what misspoke is? Misspoke is another word for a lie. <laughs> a deception, a falsehood. Denise, you had something further to add. Um, I agree with, with what Will said about white lies, but I think about the story of Rahab in, in yeah, Jericho. Yeah. And That's she, true. she told a lie to the king's guards about the Israelite spies that she was protecting. Now, she was going through a transformation from the life of a prostitute to uh, somebody who believed in God and was going to help the Israelites, um, but she still told a lie. Yeah, that's true, Denise. But can I take that one a little bit further? When she became part of the kingdom (coughs) or the nation of Israel, because uh, from memory she was, she's in the line of Christ, isn't she? Yes, she was. Um, I, I asked myself this question, Denise, and I'm just throwing it out there for people to think about. Yes, she did tell a lie. No dispute on that. She told the king that they'd gone, and if you get cracking, you should catch up with them. Um, but when she became fully converted, would she have still told the lie in, in later on? No, I'm sure she wouldn't. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Hands going up everywhere. Jerry? <laughs> yeah, this is a, this is a sensitive, uh, subject, isn't it? I mean, I, I think, for instance, um, of a wartime situation. My parents lived in the Netherlands. They were Dutch. And of course, we know yes. that uh, a lot of yep. Jews were, arrested and taken to the uh, concentration camps and my father was in the Dutch underground and okay he wasn't a Christian but he lied as far as the whereabouts of some Jews who he was uh, harboring Harboring. Mm. and uh, was given a safe passage for now imagine being in that situation and I don't yeah, I struggle with the perfect answer, actually, to be honest. If I was, a, if I was a, a Christian and I knew that it was important to be truthful, and by being truthful, I, if I was at gunpoint asked, okay, are you harboring any Jews here? And I was. Would I say, yes, well, yes, actually, I am. Or would I say, no? You know, it's an extreme example. But, yeah, uh, no, very, Jerry, it's I, I don't a know, I wrestled with very that. Valuable. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Nick, did you have any thought for us? Well, uh, this is a subject we, we could spend the rest of our study yeah. on. This yeah, we may. Question. I was just going to say we may need to do a special program <laughs> on uh, white yes. uh, lies, maybe. Mm. But uh, what I wanted to say very quickly, because in the Bible we cannot deny that in the Bible there are certain examples as. Uh, Denise was just bringing to our attention one. That there is another story just came to my mind, which says, uh, if somebody asks you which way did you come, tell, tell them that you came the other way, you know, and um, there are a few things. But in life, there are certain situations in which we need to be always under God's guidance to know how to act or react. And there is a saying, I, I like to, uh, and I don't want to stay too much on this one. But it says, don't say everything what you know, but know 
everything what you say. Yeah, yeah, I can understand what you're saying, Nene. Yeah, for sure. Um, is there a biblical um, expression for that that says, "Be wise as a serpent, but harmless as a dove"? There is, there is, and I'm also thinking of what Christ said when he was arrested, and they said, "Tell us what what have you been teaching?" He said, "Well, ask the people that I've been teaching." I've been quite open and honest. I taught in the temple every day. If you want to know what I said, talk to the people who listened. They know what I said. <laughs> Lydia, I wonder if you'd share with us in summary, verse 29. We're moving on, and then uh, Ken is going to share with us a very important verse in verse 30. So there were three points that were, I believe are made in verse 29. I wonder if you could share those with us. Thanks. Yes, of course. I will read uh, verse 29 from chapter 4 of Ephesians, and it says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Mm, I like that. Legit the last bit. Mm. And... I would like also to read in James chapter 1, verse 19, which Paul says, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, Get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you. In verse 22 it says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Yes, yes. So here Paul effectively commands Christians in as it says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouths, in uh, New King James says, but which describe, describes a destructive word, making it seemingly unstoppable way toward the lips to do in its damaging work. So positively, Paul imagines any negative expression not being just stopped, but replaced by a statement that exhibits three criteria. First, it's good for building up. So when I talk, when I say out a word, to think about it, to build up that person. And secondly, the, my word has to fit the occasion. So if it's the right to say, I have to say. If not, better not to say. True. And third, to give grace to those who hear. So those who hear, to feel good about it. So I'm thinking about that uh, uh, that type of metaphor. Does good water comes, does bitter water comes from a good spring? Yes. No, in a good spring, it's a good water. Does a, a fruit tree fruits it's kind of fruit so in my heart if i work out of of good works of good words it comes out from my mouth good words 
So if my relationship with God, it's a good relationship with God, vertically, automatically, horizontally, uh, I will have a good relationship and spread around me good words, building up words, grace to those who hear. Lydia, you summed that up very, very well. Um, moving on from that, though, Ken has a very important verse in verse 30. And Paul points out that if negative speech, critical speech, and the type of speech that he tells them not to use, what who is it that is going to be most affected by what they say? I wonder, Ken, if you could share verse 30 with us and maybe summarise a little bit for us. Thanks. Certainly, Brenton. Reading from the NIV version. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, the Holy Spirit does not leave us alone when we fall and fail. He is grieved. The Greek word is lupio, to cause pain. This establishes the priesthood of the Holy Spirit. But what are the consequences of constantly grieving the Holy Spirit? What point do we come to? It's important if we read Matthew 12 and verse 32. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. This is also found in Luke 12 and verse 10. Now, some of our listeners may be thinking of John chapter 14 and verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Mm-hmm. However, we read in Mark chapter 3 and verse 21, New King James Version, For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Now, yes, this is a, a very that's a, that's serious... A powerful one, that one. Mm-hmm. This is a very serious... Uh, verse here and can have eternal consequences as we read in Romans chapter 6 verse 23 King James Version for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord now I think it makes it very very clear that the Holy Spirit is an incredible important uh, component of the Godhead and as we have read if we if we sin against God or against Jesus, that can be forgiven. But if we sin against the Holy Spirit, it will never be forgiven. So this is really important. Now, one of the interesting things in my uh, study for today's topic, looking across all sorts of things, I came across a church, and I'm going to mention the names, that said, Jesus forgives all our sins, both past and present. In other words... You know, everything's going to be forgiven. And it actually states, and I'm just repeating what it said, so you can sin all you want. It doesn't matter because you're still going to heaven. Well, unfortunately, listeners, that is not the case, as we have read many, many times. Yeah, thank you. Um, Any other thoughts on this particular one? Um, The problem, um, as I see it, is this. In in, um, grieving the Holy Spirit, notice it says, Grieving the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit hasn't left the person, but each time you grieve the Holy Spirit, 
um, the impressions that the Holy Spirit can bring to your mind as to the changes that need to be made in your life become less and less distinct. Does that make sense? Because what you read, Ken, in Matthew 12, verse 32, is because the Pharisees said that Christ was casting out demons by the prince of demons. Now, they didn't believe that themselves, but in order to maintain their position in society and their position, their influence on the people, they uh, opposed Christ and um, said, oh, it's pretty obvious why he's casting out demons. He cast them out by the prince of demons. Jesus points out to them in the next couple of verses that that uh, statement you've just made is illogical. How can Satan cast out Satan? What's going to be the end result of all of that? Nick? You ask something about the Holy Spirit there, and in the Bible, uh, it may come to memory that passage, uh, the sin against the Holy Spirit. In this case here, grieving the Holy Spirit, that's actually a warning for us not, yes. To, yes, uh, pers- not to persist into this, because then it that can go into sinning against the Holy Spirit, which is a very serious uh offense which jesus says that will not be he says it won't be forgiven in this world forgiven and that's what i'm saying but in this case here we are um, it's brought to our attention to whatever we do whatever we say to consider that we can speak or say against the holy spirit now we said few times here that uh, we fall into sin and it's true because we are in this sinful nature um, and we cannot be perfect, but that doesn't mean that it's a free license for sin. Sure. It's, uh, this is, we learning here how to be transformed. And the only way, again, I will repeat this one. We can be transformed by putting on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. My dear friend, I'd like to uh, give you here, um, just put a plug here for our <laughs> offer, which we have for today. We still want to give you that uh, wonderful devotion, God's amazing grace, because indeed only through the grace of God will be able to cope with everything what's going on in life. And I would like you, my dear friend, to have this devotional in your hands. Please send us a text message to the number 0482098383. The code is S-A-B-S-1. Thank you, Nick. Um, Jerry, you had a thought, and then Nick is going to wrap up for us in the time we have remaining, verses 31 and 32 of yes, chapter 4. Just, just, quick, Jerry. just a quick thought. Uh, oh, that's fine. You know, regarding the grieving of the Holy Spirit, I believe, if I can use the word uh, desperate, God is desperate to save us. Yes. And he uses the Holy Spirit to to you know, prompt us to, to respond yes. and to, yes. you know, to, to change and to come to him. He, he really, really wants more than anything for us to be with him in eternity. And, um, and throughout our lives at different times, God tries through his Holy Spirit to, to bring us to that point where we suddenly, where our eyes are opened, as it were, just like Paul when he was on the, on the road to Damascus, where we suddenly understand what's happening and, uh, and that we turn our eyes to Jesus. And, and not only that, but you have guardian angels as well that are appointed to to watch over us, to help us. They must be grieved as well if we, having heard of the gospel, then turn away 
and go back to the same old lifestyle. So, yeah. Yes, you know, it's not just the Holy Spirit that's grieved, it's also the angels. The angels, been, yeah. So in that sure. sense, I can understand the grieving yeah. process. I mean, just trying to put myself in the, in the position yeah. of yeah. the Holy Spirit where, yeah. you know, but they, it must be so upsetting. And for, and for yeah. the Father himself, God the Father, yeah. to see his children, so many of his children, going going down the road to perdition, to, you know, to mm. really the end. It's, it's a dead-end road. It must really, really grieve his heart, Jerry. Yeah. yeah. Nick, I wonder, uh, we only have a few minutes left, but I wonder if you could summarise for us fairly succinctly verses 31 and 32 as we bring our study for today to a close. Thanks. Sure, Brenton. And, uh, yeah, these are the last two verses of uh, chapter 4, verse 31 and 32. Two verses which we can make a full sermon out of it. Um, <laughs> because, uh, indeed, uh, very important. And let's, let's just have, um, a look at it. And I'll just read this from, uh, English standard version. ESV. Yeah. It says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgive you yes that's what he says you see this is gospel in these uh, two verses particularly in the last verse here now who on this planet earth is not experiencing some of these things in their lives i believe all of us all of us we are tempted with uh, some sort of bitterness sometimes, or maybe even with, uh, you know, with anger, with uh, all sorts of things. But God is inviting us here to put away with those things. Take off that old cloth, if you like. Yeah, this one's put away. Take off. Put away. Put away. Put away, okay? But now put on, you know, put on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And this is the invitation for me and for you, my dear friend, listening yes. today, yeah. be kind, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, very hard to find that, forgiving one another, which is very hard to forgive, you know, because, and this is the thing, because God forgave us. Forgive you. Yeah. Thank you, Nick. Summarized beautifully. John 13 35 says, by this all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. That's the litmus test. Um, Will, I don't think you're the only person who was probably squirming in your chair during this study. I've been squirming in mine too. <laughs> As I reflect on, on things, I believe the challenge God wants for us is we, let us ask God to give us the gift of pure, honest, uplifting speech, both within our church and our community. I wonder, Will, would you close with prayer for us, please? Sure. Dear Lord, we confess that we have need of change in our thinking, in our speaking, 
and in our lifestyles. We want to become more like our Saviour. Help us, Lord. And with David of old, we want to pray. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. Thank you, Will. Well, thank you, everyone, so much for uh, this time together. Indeed, a very important uh, Bible study, very practical. Uh, I hope we can um, put in practice some of the things which we learn today. Because my dear friend listening today will invite you to join us again when we are going to study about living wisely. I hope that we can put in practice some of the things which we mention uh, today. May God richly bless you. And don't forget to claim our offer, which we have for today. God's amazing grace. It's a wonderful devotional. Please send us a text message to 0482093883. The code is SABS1. Until next time. May God richly bless you and continue to walk into his footsteps. Put on the righteousness of Christ.